Welcome back to the Replay Booth, everybody. My name is Parker Jones, and I am once again joined by my brother, Connor Jones, for this episode. And we are going to be recapping all of the big things from week two, including Alabama and Texas, more on Colorado, a rough weekend for A&M, as well as the whole of the SEC and a number of other stories in college football. And we are going to make some predictions about week three. Let's start with the biggest story of the weekend and the biggest game of the weekend, which was Alabama versus Texas in Tuscaloosa. Connor, what were your overall thoughts of this game? Man, what a fun game. You know, a primetime game with an upset in Tuscaloosa, that's fun. You know, you just don't expect it. I obviously, last week I predicted Alabama was going to win. You did too. We were totally wrong. Alabama did not look like themselves. But uh, Texas, man, they came in. They were ready. Quinn Ewers, he's talented, bro. I didn't. I've been. I've been questioning Quinn Ewers for like pretty much all of last season, and then again this year. Last night was the game I needed to see. My thinking is last night was the game a lot of scouts in the NFL needed to see, uh, and I think he probably secured himself several million dollars in the NFL down the road, assuming he doesn't get injured, assuming he continues to play like that. Jalen Milrow. I was high on him last week coming out of that game against, um, was it Middle Tennessee? Yeah, coming out of that game, I was high on him after last night. I'm not so high on him. I think Nick Saban's going to readjust. I would not fear for Alabama right now. I know people on Twitter and all of that are, is this the end of Alabama's dynasty? Oh, we'll talk about that. I don't know. Anyways, they're going to adjust, but what a fun game. You know, so many touchdowns. Quinn Ewers, what was it, three touchdowns, no interceptions, I think 300 and 49 passing yards. Yeah, we had a good time watching that last night. I loved this game. Um, it was just a, it was a lot of fun all the way around. And it was really impressive to see the way Texas played. But I don't, and I don't want to take anything away from the way they played. But I just have a lot of question marks about Alabama. You mentioned it didn't feel like themselves. I mean, they beat themselves up with false starts and pre-snap penalties and mm-hmm. just seemed like a lot of poor discipline. What I felt like when watching the game is that Milrow is not a star quarterback. That's okay. Alabama has won national championships without a star quarterback. But they played an offensive scheme with those previous quarterbacks like McElroy that didn't require the quarterback to be a star. You know, throughout the years, they had Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry, incredible running backs that helped anchor the offense when there wasn't a star quarterback. And yesterday, Milrow was put in a position where he needed to be the superstar, and that's just not who he is. They, It's like they expected a Bryce Young or a Tua or a Jalen Hurts to come out of Jalen Milrow, and that's just not who he is, and it did not work. And... Texas stood their ground repeatedly, and it was a it was a lot of fun to watch, but it does raise some serious concerns about Alabama. No, you're exactly right. Jalen Milrow almost had a only fifty percent completion rate. It was fourteen for twenty seven, two hundred and fifty five yards. So that's not bad. But two touchdowns, two interceptions, not a great stat line, especially when you were looking at the star quarterback on the opposing team. Those inter those interceptions were pretty ugly, especially yeah. that second half one that resulted in. Texas just scoring almost right away, you know. So um, there's there's definitely some work there. I don't know that that is their solution for the quarterback position. I know going into the season and in camp, 
there was a lot of debate about who the quarterback was going to be. So uh, it could be interesting to see what Nick Saban goes with moving forward. So that was a huge game. Another another huge game yesterday was Colorado-Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Week two of Colorado trying to stay alive uh, with Dion, and boy, did they. Man, that place was rocking. It was so cool to see, you know, just Colorado making this comeback. Like, they're, they're a team that's been pretty much, I would say, relatively irrelevant for uh, 20 years. They've had a few seasons here and there that they pop up, they get ranked, all of that. Nothing crazy. You don't remember those teams or really a lot of the players on the teams. This team we're going to all remember. Even if it's just like, you know, let's just say they only have six weeks of greatness and then they start to fall apart or whatnot. We're going to remember these weeks. We're going to remember these games. I don't think anybody, if you had said two weeks ago that Nebraska was going to come to Boulder and just get kind of steamrolled, nobody would have agreed with you. Uh, But they did get steamrolled. And Nebraska, here's the deal. They looked great in that first half on the defensive side. They were stopping Colorado. Uh, Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter, the whole offense, they could not make anything work. Nebraska was all over them, tracking the quarterback down. And they were owning them on the defensive side. Second half came around, and I'm telling you, I think that Nebraska D just got worn out. Uh, the, the Nebraska offense is really bad. Uh, Jeff Sims, man. Oh, oh, poor guy. Poor I, guy. I'm sitting there, I'm like, they've got to put this guy on the bench, right? And eventually like, they did. But far way too, too late. Way too way late. Too late. And it, it should have been a decision after the second fumble. Like, it... I'm not sure it would have turned the game around for them, but it did mean that the, the Colorado offense was on the field for so much of the game time, which wears out the powerful defense of Nebraska. So the one thing that they really had going for them did not stick around. Colorado takes advantage. Shador Sanders throwing some targeted throws. Dude's got an arm. Dude has accuracy. Uh, Travis Hunter, you know, he, he had some good catches. He wasn't as big of a an impact player this week as he was last week, but that's okay. You don't you can't expect that every week. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the receivers, they were all really good. Everybody had some solid plays, some great touchdown passes, and the environment in that stadium made that a very, very fun and entertaining game to watch. I'm here for it. I thought, like I said a minute ago, that Jalen Milrow had bad turnovers in that game against Texas. They did not even compare to the turnovers that Jeff Sims had. Mm-hmm. I just, it was painful to watch a drop snap fumble and then uh, two really confusing interceptions, trying to figure out what was going through his mind when he made the throws. And that was a huge uh, aspect of how the game fell apart for Nebraska. I'm not saying if those turnovers don't happen that Nebraska's in the game or going to win the game because Colorado ultimately ran, ran away with it, but it started with those turnovers. And you mentioned it. Sanders was uh, incredible in the pocket again, looked extremely comfortable, uh, threw for almost 400 yards. So now he's thrown for 900 yards on the season, which is pretty incredible uh, just two weeks in against two good opponents, supposedly. You know, Nebraska is a defensive team, and in the first half their defense stood up. But Colorado's just so fast. And Nebraska is big. They played like a brick wall, but eventually the tempo, I think, just – uh, caught up with them, and they, they couldn't continue. And I said this a couple weeks ago. I, I almost feel for Matt Rule at Nebraska because I just I don't know what it would take to get a top-tier recruiting class back to Lincoln, Nebraska again. 
the players that you are recruiting, if you are Matt Rule, have never seen Nebraska as a superstar, mm-hmm. as a super as a superpower. And with that in mind, Nebraska is also just not a desirable geographical location. So, you know, it's one of those things uh, that it's going to be tough to rebuild that kind of program. It's Yeah, it's going to be tough for them. The, Matt Rule has, you know, this is a hard job. He took it knowing it's going to be hard. I would say you got to give him a season to adjust and of start course. a new recruiting class. I think what he's going to have to do if he really wants to do uh, a successful building, he's going to have to utilize that transfer portal the way Dion did. That's yeah. that's probably the only way he's going to need to pick players from other teams around the country and say, I want you. That was already attempted with Jeff Sims, but um, Sims did not have a great season at Georgia Tech last year. Anyway. So, uh, right. you got to find players <laughs> that have great seasons. Anyway. Anyway. Miami and Texas A&M. This was in uh, Miami. A&M came in. Mentioned this last week. Both these teams had bad 2022s looking for – revitalization this year and it was Miami all day yes it was man I picked Miami last week to win not really having much of a reason behind it but I'm glad I did I think I don't even know if it's that I'm like all about Miami and that I think that they're a great team I think I'm more so just down on Texas A&M what does this mean Parker for Jimbo Fisher that's what came to mind for me like this guy was supposed to come in and revive this program coming out of a you know, super successful tenure at Florida State. It has not happened. Well, and he is an expensive coach. What's his contract like? Something ridiculous. An insane contract, and it's not paying off. I'm sure the boosters at a and I'm sure the AD at a and and the entire athletic office, and even probably the university president is sitting in their chairs thinking, what are we doing here? What are we paying this guy for? If you are Jimbo Fisher, you're probably praying that Miami has an incredible year. <laughs> And just it, it so that it is understandable why you lost to them. I don't necessarily think Miami is going to turn around and go ten and two or eleven and one. I, I think they're more like an eight and four, nine and three team. Um, but they they played incredible yesterday. A and M again had some mistakes, and uh, Miami walked away with a, a pretty resounding forty eight to thirty three. Right, and Tyler Van Dyke, their quarterback, had five touchdown passes and no interceptions. That's a great performance. He Uh, was very accurate, very accurate. The last thing I want to talk about uh, as far as recap from the weekend is today, the AP, today being Sunday, the AP top 25 dropped going into week three, and there are eight Pac-12 teams. Eight. The only Pac-12 teams not in the top 25 are Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, and Stanford, which also happen to be the only Pac-12 teams that have yet to, or that have lost a game so far. So this comes after Washington State uh, beat Wisconsin in upset fashion in Pullman, Washington yesterday, and uh, UCLA stomped San Diego State. Yeah, this is crazy. You got a you got a league that was so bad last year, and honestly, well, not so bad. They just weren't that powerhouse pa- uh, powerhouse conference. And now, what they they're going to be a powerhouse conference as they break apart. It is kind of interesting. I do think we've got some teams here to watch for playoff contention. Uh, obviously, USC is the team I would say is most likely to end up in the college football playoff. 
Uh, Colorado obviously grabbing a lot of the attention, but all these other teams, they're pretty good too. Washington's great. It's going to be a gauntlet. It, it's so interesting, and it it's, like I said last week, it's depressing, man, that they're going to break apart now on the on the heels of this great season and we're going to we're going to lose this Pac-12. Although I did hear this week that uh the remaining two schools are working hard to retain the Pac-12. Just they're going to be bringing in other schools. It won't be so the Pac-12. will not really be the it Pac-12. Will not be the Pac-12. I don't know if we can consider them a a Power 5 conference anymore. No. No. Okay, let's move on and do a few overreactions. Okay, we've got three quick overreactions, and we're going to share whether or not we think they are on point or reaching. So first, Texas will win the Big 12 in their final year and play for a national championship. Uh, I think this is a very high probability. They do seem to be the top team in the Big 12 right now. I would say we need to watch out for Oklahoma, not discount them. They're still a good team. They haven't had that game yet that proves that they're an amazing team like Texas had last night so early in the season. Uh, I would say watch out for Kansas, honestly. Uh, they beat Illinois this week on Thursday night. And uh, that blackout game, that was a cool watch. And then we've got Kansas State that also looks really good. So it's too early to tell if Texas is really going to be the Big 12 champion. But if they continue to play like they did last night and Quinn Ewers continues to show out and be a potential Heisman candidate then yes, I would say right now the odds are definitely in their favor to be Big 12 champions. I think this is reaching, personally. Okay. I think Texas is good. Um, I I just, Texas, it would be such a Texas thing to be Alabama in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> That's such a good point. And then lose at Iowa State on the second to last yes, week of the season. Yes, you're absolutely right. You know? And so I'm not convinced that Texas will make it through the Big 12 gauntlet where there's a lot of good but not great teams. Mm-hmm. And you talk about Kansas. Do you really think Baylor and Texas Tech are going to end up going 0-12 this year? No. They are down for sure. But uh, It's always you, a school like that, though, that takes Texas down, right? Texas. They, they usually travel to another state or another city within Texas, play a school that they should absolutely run over, and then they end up losing you know, to a, a last-second field goal. And it's a big deal. Yeah, and Texas plays at TCU, by the way which could be a big game as well. TCU beat them in Austin last year. And I know there's a lot of doubt around TCU, but if Colorado is legitimate, then it's not a big deal to me that TCU lost that game. Yeah, I say give TCU a few weeks to continue to shore up. I mean, they won yesterday pretty handily. Yeah. Uh, So I would say that's a great point. Texas had some hard games ahead. And my Big 12 favorite is Kansas State, who I think all around is the most balanced team in the conference. And so they're the only team that I think – reasonably matches up in terms of size with Texas in okay. the Big 12. Uh, they've got a number of big guys, including Cooper Beebe, on that offensive line who's going to be a first-round draft pick. So um, there's a lot of football left to be played is all I would say with that. Uh, second, Alabama. Is the dynasty over? You already hinted at this earlier. I think that's definitely reaching. I understand where concerns come in. I understand why people might be thinking, okay – We've had some rocky seasons the last few years. We don't have that quarterback right now that's going to be the you know first or second pick in the NFL draft. But, man, do we not have trust in Nick Saban? We're talking about the greatest college football coach of all time. How many times has he turned a team around? 
several, right? Like he came in, he made Alabama what it is. So I would say lean your trust. If you're an Alabama fan, lean your trust into Nick Saban. And also just recognize that dynasties, when it comes to recruiting, they don't just end. How many kids have grown up wanting to go play football right. for Alabama? How many five-star recruits are out there right now thinking Alabama's the school that I desire to play for? How many players at Alabama under Nick Saban's watch I don't know the number. I would love to know this number. How many have gone to the NFL draft and actually been drafted in those first seven rounds? How many first round picks have there been out of Nick Saban's era? So you got these top you got these top recruits in high school right now, and they're thinking, if I want to go to the NFL, Nick Saban's probably the guy to go play for it. Now, I would say there's competition coming out of Georgia now, right next door. So that's a little bit different. That's never really been a threat. It's usually been Clemson, uh, Florida State, not too far away. Or some other northern schools, Ohio State. This one's a little bit different with Georgia right there and Kirby Smart recruiting some of the same guys. But it's not over, in my opinion. I think this is reaching. I'm with you. I think that would be – this would be a hard line to draw just based on this Texas game. Uh, You know, if the season falls apart, and I guess it could, then we may need to reevaluate. But they get some of their bigger games at home, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and LSU. They have to travel to A&M and Auburn, which are two teams that seem to really challenge Alabama every year, even when A&M and Auburn are bad. So those are a couple weeks to look out for. But maybe home field advantage doesn't matter much. I really thought being in Tuscaloosa was going to matter more than it did. Did you see the shot of the fans leaving the game early? How how many times have we seen that? They have not lost at home since 2019 against Joe Burrow. So. That's Which that's quite the thing. It's kind of telling if you're looking at Quinn Ewers and you're like, look at what happened with Joe. Yeah, for sure. But it's September. Sure. Uh, lastly, the Pac-12 will finally have a playoff team for the first time since Washington went in 2016. This is absolutely on point. Uh, I genuinely believe USC is going to be the team. Uh, but there's some others that are in contention as well. I, it shocks me that Washington was the last one. I remember watching that game and they did not play well. They didn't show up. I, I do think if there's a team that can actually get to the playoff and play well against an SEC or a Big Ten school or a Big 12 school, it's going to be USC and Caleb Williams leading that team. I like Washington this year a lot. But the problem that the Pac-12 has over and over and over again is the gauntlet destroys itself. And so it's really hard for a team to emerge out of the Pac-12 with one loss. Everybody has two or three losses. And that was an issue last year uh, because USC had their second loss in the conference championship game. And so I would not be shocked if we have a similar situation this year. The difference, I think, is the conference has proven itself so well in these first couple weeks that possibly a two-loss conference champion could could get in the playoff. I could see that happening, where a two-loss Washington, a two-loss USC, dare I say a two-loss Colorado, <laughs> got in to the playoff after winning the conference. So we'll see. Again, there is a lot of football left to be played. Well, let's transition into what we are excited about in week three. Okay, before we evaluate a few predictions for the week ahead, we want to share with you each of our top five teams going into week three. So I'll start off. My top team should not be a surprise. It is the Georgia Bulldogs. 
I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt, even as the rest of their conference has floundered in out-of-conference play. There's not a good reason to suggest that Georgia will be less uh, than like the rest of their conference has been. I think Georgia is still the top dog. Michigan, I think at number two, I think Michigan, similar to Georgia, uh, they get the benefit of the doubt. They come in with a very similar roster, and they've just they're a powerhouse of a team. Florida State is who I put at number three. This largely stems from the way they manhandled LSU last week. They looked fantastic in that game, and I think they looked better than Texas looked yesterday. I put Texas at number four. Texas, I still, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not convinced that Texas can make it through the gauntlet of the schedule that they have, but these rankings are about right now. I think Texas is the fourth best team in the country after going to Tuscaloosa and winning that game yesterday pretty handily. I don't think they looked as strong and aggressive as Florida State looked two weeks ago. Then, Penn State. Penn State is who I have at number five. Penn State has not done a ton on the field other than whoop West Virginia, but I'm convinced that this season Penn State will finally get one of those big dogs, Michigan or Ohio State, and bring them back down to earth. I'm excited to see Penn State throughout this year. They've got a big game this week against Illinois. Yep, okay, so my number one, two, and three are the exact same as yours. Georgia, number one, Michigan, number two, and Florida State, number three, for every reason that you just said. So I don't feel like I need to harp on that again. They're just great teams. My number four is different than yours. You had Texas, I've got USC. Uh, I'm just like high on USC this year. I believe Lincoln Riley's coming in and opening up a new, um, just kind of like he's unlocking Caleb Williams and all of the talent that he has. Caleb Williams is so confident. You know, he does his fingernail thing, but he's so confident. I'm assuming you saw this week the comments that his father made about the NFL draft. And if he gets drafted number one, they're going to make the decision based on the team, on if he's actually going to take that or not. Oh, my. He is so high on himself. This is potentially, you know, arrogance and cockiness, but also I do believe it's confidence in his abilities. So he's just a really great player. It's a really great team. Number four for me. Number five, I did put Texas. Uh, I'm not 100% sold on this pick, but I do think as of right now, they are the fifth best team in the nation and they could end up going higher depending on how they continue to play. Uh, Assuming they don't have any of those losses like we talked about against another school that would shock them they're going to probably get into the top four and make the college football playoff. So they are number five for me. I do agree with you, though, that Penn State is a great, great team. We need to keep our eyes on them. They can easily inch their way up into the top four as well. So let's look at the games that are coming up this week. Just for the record, last week, uh, Connor and I both missed a couple of games, but I missed more than a couple of games. He, <laughs> I went three and four, and he went five and two. Uh, we both missed on Alabama and Tulane, but uh, I made a couple risky picks that did not pay off. Might do the same this week. The games this upcoming weekend are not as exciting uh, as the the uh, ones that just passed. I mean, this last weekend was just an incredible slate of games. Week three is a week where a lot of teams start conference play the next week, so they schedule their cupcake games, and that's just kind of always been uh, the mark on week three, but we will evaluate a few of these. So uh, first, Penn State at Illinois. Penn State is favored by more than two touchdowns. So who do you think is going to win? Penn State. I mean, come on. We just talked about it. You've got them in your top five. I've got them probably top six or seven. 
Illinois, have they ever been anything to be concerned about? Hardly they, ever. But they could. You know, Penn State has issues in the past where they show up to a school just like this, another Big Ten, smaller school, smaller program, and lose out. So, but I got Penn State. Illinois fielded a really good team last year, and they threatened a couple of those Big Ten powerhouses and almost made it to the Big Ten championship game. But Illinois showed up in Lawrence, Kansas on a Friday night two days ago and did not play good football at all. Now, Kansas looked really good, but I'm not convinced, even at home in Illinois, that they'll be able to put up a fight. I think Penn State uh, steamrolls the uh, fighting Illini. (laughs) How about LSU at Mississippi State? This one, maybe it could be interesting. LSU's got a kind of rebound from... That tough loss against Florida State last week, Mississippi State will be coming off an important out-of-conference victory uh, against Arizona. Right. LSU needs this win. I do think they are going to win, but I'm not 100% sold on them winning. I just, if, if you're asking me right now, I'm saying yes, they'll probably win. But Mississippi State's not a bad school. They're going to be in Starkville, Mississippi. That means it's going to be a little bit tougher, I would think. Uh, so, I don't know. I'm not... I'm not sure. This is a big game for LSU. They need the win in order to prove that they are something and for Brian Kelly to prove that he's the right guy for this job. I'm with you. I think that LSU wins the game, but Mississippi State, I think, is going to put up a big fight uh, at home. I think it's close in the fourth quarter. Okay, here's another good out-of-conference matchup. Kansas State at Missouri. Last year, this game was played at Kansas State. Kansas State won big. Thoughts on this Big 12 SEC matchup? Kansas State wins big again. Missouri's, I mean, an embarrassment right now. They are not great. Uh, they they barely, you know, got skated by a, a small school yesterday. I can't even remember what school they were playing. It was, let me see if I, Middle Tennessee. 23-19 to 19 is what they won by. They won by four points against Middle Tennessee. So, you telling me Kansas State and their powerful team, their great quarterback, that offensive lineman BB that you mentioned, Kansas State's going to win. I'm actually shocked that uh, Kansas State is only favored by five points in this game. Kansas State won big against Troy yesterday. And while Troy may not be a top-tier program, they are a very good uh, group of five program. And they finished the last year ranked. And they just were given no chance against Kansas State yesterday. I think Kansas State also wins big, even though the game is in Columbia, Missouri. I think this one is Kansas State uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Okay, here is your 230 CBS game uh, in the last year that that will be the SEC on CBS. Georgia takes in South Carolina. And South Carolina had a rough loss against North Carolina in week one. Georgia, this is their first real opponent of the year. No offense to Ball State, but... What is going to happen in this game? Georgia is favored by almost four touchdowns. Yeah, Georgia is going to probably win by four or more touchdowns, if you ask me. South Carolina is, it's Beamer is not doing what I think people were hoping he was going to do and turn this program completely around and make it a powerhouse. I think Georgia is that powerhouse. I We do need to see from some of these new guys, these new younger players who replaced a lot of the guys who got drafted last year, how they perform against a bigger team. So this will be a fun outing for them. Uh, and this is the kind of game they need to prepare for the bigger, better opponents later on in the season. I'm really interested by this game because I think 
South Carolina might be able to expose a few flaws in Georgia. Not enough to win the game sure. at all. Sure. T- 27 points just feels like a big number for Georgia to be favored by, uh, even though Georgia is Georgia. So I think South Carolina, it may be one of those games where they hang in there in the first half, and then in the second half, Georgia just runs away. But Sounds it's very an, similar to the Colorado-Nebraska game. It's and that's what yeah. Colorado needed. That's what Georgia needs, probably. The, the, the flaws to be exposed and then have a, a good second half. So I think this could be uh, very interesting to see where Georgia might make some mistakes. I doubt there's enough mistakes Georgia can make to lose this one. Okay, Minnesota at North Carolina. A thriller. <laughs> Minnesota at North Carolina. I told you, this is not the most powerful slate of games. No, it's not the most game. powerful, but there's still, you know, you don't always have to have powerful games to have fun games to watch. And this one's fun because I just, it's two random teams, in my opinion, uh, playing each other. So North Carolina, in my opinion, is going to win this game. I'm behind Drake May. I'm behind Mac Brown on this program. They're going to be in North Carolina. Uh, and Minnesota, you know, they're all right. They seem to be okay. They just barely pushed past Nebraska, who got really beat by Colorado. So I don't have this intention of believing that they are, you know, all that and going to be a, even a Big Ten contender. So I think UNC is working on being an ACC contender. They're going to step up at 2.30 next week and, and win this game. UNC has a, a serious problem, and that problem is defense, which is half of the game. Now, they played decent against South Carolina last week, but they struggled mightily against Appalachian State yesterday. True. The game had to go to, I think, double or triple overtime. Double overtime. This is true. And uh, that's not unusual for UNC to struggle that way. Minnesota is not a high-powered offense, but they do run the ball a lot. And I just think that that might be um, a, a, a way to expose some flaws in that North Carolina defense. Minnesota has a very good defense and something that Drake May is not going to have to face probably any other time this year, uh, the the type of Big Ten-style defense that Minnesota is going to bring. And so a lot of that, the ACC is more uh, offensive, quick, fast-paced, and Minnesota is going to slow the game down. I think they hold on uh, to win narrowly at Chapel Hill. If there's one thing we know, too, it's that Appalachian State is going to be the team that comes in and shocks the world. So UNC did end up pulling off the win, but it's, you know, App State's the one that's always coming in, exposing those flaws, making teams feel less confident in themselves, beating the big schools. Absolutely. Or almost beating them. Okay, and then the primetime game on uh, 6 o'clock on ESPN is Tennessee at Florida. This game is interesting for a number of reasons. One of those is that Florida lost to Utah last week. And Billy Napier, the head coach at Florida, might be on the hot seat. Tennessee got to play Virginia last week, and it was a little bit of a cakewalk. There's still a lot of questions surrounding just how good this volunteer team is. Yeah, I would argue Tennessee's got a lot to prove still. Uh, I, I don't think they're a team that we should be fully behind and expect greatness from. Uh, I know they're ranked at 11, so that's a big deal. Florida's not even ranked anymore. So I'm I, I still behind Tennessee winning this game. I think that they're going to pull it off. But this is not one where I would be shocked if Florida does pull off some sort of miracle victory here in their own home stadium and uh, on prime time. Like, there's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot of viewership on this game. These guys are going to feel it. 
but it should be fun to watch. I, I just think you got two kind of honestly somewhat mediocre teams that have a lot to prove still. I agree with you. I think that there is a, definitely a lot to prove, and especially for Florida. Uh, but Tennessee, they've got – both of these schools, really, they've got kind of gauntlet conference schedules having to play uh, Georgia and uh, Tennessee obviously having to play Alabama and Florida having to play LSU. There's just – there's a lot that is going to have to take place on the field this year yet to come. I think Florida – wins this game because they have to. And I think there's a different kind of motivation for them coming off an out-of-conference loss to a Utah program that they probably expected to beat when they scheduled that game eight, nine, ten years ago. And then they got to it, and it was like, wait a second, Utah is a powerhouse program. And I just think Florida, they need the rebound. And I feel like uh, this, this upcoming week at home in Gainesville, they are going to get the rebound. So we'll see. We will see. I will tell you this. Week three may not be the the slate that you look at the schedule and think, man, this is the one I'm really waiting to see. But what we do know is college football is just fun. doesn't matter who's playing. We're going to have a great time watching. Can't wait to see it next week. This was a fun week two. Glad we were able to recap it, break down what's going on. I'm, I'm pumped for the rest of the season. These, these two weeks have got me really excited. I'm with you. There's got a lot of football left to be played. And we will be with you the whole way through.